right, everybody, welcome to the Musical Splitting Podcast. I am your host and nepotism baby, Kavitarian. And I am the one just gladly sucking off that nepotist baby's teeth, <laughs> Angelina Meehan. Welcome, welcome back, Angie. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about a, uh, what's that sign? It's the one that I am, the Gemini of sorts. Yes. It's that guy. The... <laughs> The like the, the the two sides of the friendship bracelet that you buy from Claire's, the uh, yes. the black and white cookie that you buy from like a coffee shop. Living in harmony. Yes. Uh, of course, we're talking about Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, which apparently was a musical that yes. I didn't know. But obviously, nothing is too sacred. Nothing is too sacred. It is formally stylized as just Jekyll and Hyde. Obviously, Jekyll and Hyde. Jekyll and Hyde. We don't need to have. You know, the full title of the novel, which is The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. We don't need to even have Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It I was going just... to say, people don't really trust science these days. So the fact that like doctor was in the title was probably like they're like, you know what? We're not going to get a lot of America in here. So might as well right. just drop that part of it. They said we're going full share. We are just stylizing it as <laughs> Jekyll and Hyde. What more do you need to know? Uh, tell me about your relationship with Jekyll and Hyde, the book. Did you ever read it back I, in the day? I did read Jekyll and Hyde. Actually, my very first experience with it was um, much in the same way with Phantom of the Opera, a Wishbone episode. Uh, and it's like, what? It's We're a minute 40 into this episode. Jesus I, Christ. Oh, man. <laughs> You're supposed to wait. <laughs> uh, I, I don't have a huge, bright, optimistic outlook for you here when we talk about this show. Uh, and not saying the cursed name of it. Um because as you will see, this show clearly wants to be that and a couple of other ones that we'll talk about later. But um, mm -hmm. I had read the Wishbone novelization of it, which was very fun. And then um, it's a, which is weird because it's a novella. It's really short. You can read it in like an hour. It's not like a novel. But I had read it back. Yes. Yeah, in about sixth or seventh grade, like the actual um, unabridged yeah. Robert Louis Stevenson version, because I had gone through like a whole like. Besides Phantom of the Opera, I loved like Dumas and I loved Dracula and I loved like kind of like all of those mm -hmm. like standards Victorian of like, era yeah, stuff. Victorian horror adventure because uh, Robert Louis Stevenson also wrote um, Treasure Island. Treasure and, Island. And, yeah. Right, like, yeah. so just like all of those that like kind of big adventure, you know, sometimes bloody and violent, like oh, horror action-y stuff like I loved. So I'd read it back then. Yeah. Um, okay. The musical, though, I had known it existed um, and I had never, never once listened to it. In high school, which is like, I think the age when people who do like this show get into it, um, just okay. totally bypassed me, even though I knew it was a thing. And then um, I had mentioned in the Into the Woods episode that my university, the very first show they were doing where I was a student was Into the Woods. Mm -hmm. And then immediately the semester after that, it was Jekyll and Hyde. And oh. <laughs> so that was my introduction to Jekyll and Hyde. And I remember auditioning for it having not listened to it at all, because I was just like, well, they cast me into the woods, so I'll probably at least, it has a big ensemble this show. So I was like, well, I'll probably get in the ensemble. And I sang a deeply inappropriate song for it. Um, oh, did not take it. Yeah, a song from uh, Avenue Q, which is about as totally different from Jekyll and Hyde. What's, what's it, the song? Uh, it's um, uh, Schadenfreude. <laughs> Uh, okay. people, people who are having a few fans. other people's misfortunes. Yeah, right? exactly. And it's a very like bouncy goes like schadenfreude making me feel glad that I'm not you. And like, you hear that Hollywood, or, <laughs> you hear that Broadway producers. That's what you missed. Yeah. You missed out on this beautiful. Um, and if I do sound different, it's because I am in my Mr. Hyde voice with, I have a very bad cold Mr. right now. Hyde. So it, this is actually just my Hyde version. We'll call her Loretta. Um, this is just Loretta, Loretta. talking, <laughs> but I sang that and I remember the director just 
just being like completely stone faced staring at me. And I immediately mm-hmm. knew like, well, I'm not getting into this show. So oh, I had the, <laughs> it, well, I mean, it was, I'm sorry. it was sad. And, but also like, I didn't care, but I did want to hang out with my friends who did get cast into it. So I mm-hmm. immediately volunteered to do crew for it. Cause I also did like doing like the technical side of shows and yeah. it was such an insane experience because Again, still hadn't listened to the show when I had, you know, decided, well, I'll volunteer to do it. Everyone that I had known that was in it or was on like the um, artistic staff of it was taking it so seriously. They were like, okay, this is an amazing show. It is a show about the duality of man. It is a show. Right. When (laughs) you're that age, too, you're just like, this is profound. Yeah. They're like, people can have more than one face. Yes, exactly. And and like everyone was just taking it so seriously, like in a way that even doing high school theater, no one had like Mm -hmm. every other theater experience I had at that point. You do a show so often that even if you love it, you find a way to make fun of it or to just like be like, yeah, because you you get bored. You're living with it for so long, especially too. It just ends up becoming kind of a joke. But I remember like joking about one of the many very dumb songs in the show to a friend who was in it. And she did not talk to me for like two weeks afterwards. <laughs> and I was just like, what, what did I do? Like, you I don't understand because what, like the thing was, is like seeing it from that like weird, like perspective of someone who is like not in the show itself and had no interest mm-hmm. in it before. And I'm just kind of watching it as like a third party rotating right around it. That's that age, 18, 19, where, like, you define yourself by being an asshole because you're just really now developing. I'm like, still doing that, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> like, you're just like, I, I had been really into Sondheim, and this was, like, two years into my Sondheim obsession. I was like, this is garbage. Like, I... <laughs> I had to listen to the show so many times, watch it so many times, the staging that we did in college, that I just came to loathe this show. Like, in a way, I had never... Interesting choice that you wanted to do this with podcasts. Well, I did. I, I, you know, it's a thing, though, because it... It's not that it's not fun to watch. I will put that out there. And, and Mm -hmm. you know, when you break it down, you can say, like, oh... She loathed it because she was jealous. And I'm sure that is a part of it, too, that, like, my brain was, like, forming this idea of Jekyll and Hyde based on, like, me getting, like, ostracized by a group of my peers. Totally understandable. And, you know, I thought a lot about this and and doing it because I know there were people that were like, oh, Jekyll and Hyde is, like, such a fun trash fire. You got to do it. And it is. Real real quick, though, do they think that because of the show itself is a trash fire or the specific one that we're going to watch is a trash fire? um, Both. (laughs) Both. Okay. Yeah. So this show, like, despite me dogging it and despite the fact that this show, like, never recouped its Broadway cost, it has a huge, like, cult around it that, like, loves it. And the composer, Frank Wildhorn, is kind of like, it's interesting to me because I think when people think of Angela Lloyd Webber, who they're actually thinking of is Frank Wildhorn. Like, Mm. um, because everyone's like, oh, Angela Lloyd Webber just writes big corny songs and that's all he does. And they're, like, not very good at, like, developing character or moving the plot. They're just him showboating. And to an extent, like, especially in his later works, I do see that a lot. But, like, to me, that is all Frank Wildhorn does. And so... To give you some background on Frank Wildhorn, if you mm-hmm. know anything, and you do you know the song Where Do Broken Hearts Go by Whitney Houston? It's like, I where do, do broken hearts, hearts go? Yes, yes, yeah. yes, as you remember. So that, yeah. Frank Wildhorn wrote that, and his background is as kind of like an adult contemporary like songwriter. He like mm-hmm. worked with like Kenny Loggins and Trisha Yearwood and like Celine Dion. Uh no. So actually what I was going to say is his music reminds me a lot of like um um oh my gosh. 
Uh, oh, the greatest I, I, hits Jim, from Jim the Steinem. 70s. Jim Steinem. I was reaching for Jim Steinem. <laughs> I was reaching for Jim Steinem, who's the the mostly known for collaborating with Meatloaf and writing like Bad Out of Hell and I would do anything for love and writing Celine Dion's It's All Coming Back to Me Now and Bonnie Tyler's. Um, and I like Jim Steinem. And to me, Frank yeah, Wildhorn yeah. just films feels like a really distilled. Jim so this Steinem. is like a mom kind of, I say mom because like for our generation, I guess I would say that that's the radio station that moms would listen to. It feels is definitely. The ones who played all that. Yeah. Which like, in the Bay Area, it was K-O-I-T. It was K-O-I-T. <laughs> yeah, we had, no, we had W-J-J-Z 106. Yeah, the greatest hits from the 80s, 70s, 80s, and today. <laughs> right. And it was always Kenny G. Right, yeah. And like, it, it had like, it was the syndicate for Delilah. Like, if you remember okay. like, Del- like, it sounds like, like Frank Wildhorn's music sounds like the music you would hear listening to Delilah. Like, Delilah would sit down and be like, Okay, so you're calling in tonight and you're feeling sad because you don't have a boyfriend. Well, tonight I'm going to play with you. Uh, Bring What's on the men the from Jekyll and Hyde. <laughs> the, the other song I always think of, too, is Butterfly Kisses, which is yeah. the devil <laughs> Frank, so that, that is the aesthetic of Frank Wildhorn's music to me. Like, Great. As, Looking and, forward and, to this one. <laughs> this, and there are a couple of songs I do like in this show. Like, the outs, I can, I am, you know, not above saying, like, okay, there's, like, one or two, like, good, like, if Celine Dion sang this this would have been a number one hit, you know, that would have been uh, cool if she was the lead in this. She, well, I mean, I hadn't even seen it yet, but and it, it's funny because, um, the, the, the show originally starred, uh, Frank, uh, Wildhorn's then wife, Linda Edder, who is now kind of her own, like kind of cult following Broadway singer. And she has mm-hmm. that kind of Celine Dion, um, Bonnie Tyler. I forget the name of the woman who sings the woman's part in uh, bad out of hell, but like she kind of has that kind of aspect Gravitas. to her voice yeah okay. um and like so what i'm getting at is all of his music sounds like that and do you want me to tell you something else about frank wildhorn that's going to make you Go feel great it. he started great. writing jekyll and hyde with his friend steve kudin while they were students at usc oh no <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry so so we have usc i think to thank for jekyll and hyde so, so many um, bad things that we've made yeah uh, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, sh- should we get into it? Yeah, let's get into the notes real quick. Jekyll and Hyde is a 1990 musical based on the 198 or sorry, the 1886 novella, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde by Bob Stevenson. <laughs> that would have been a good name for him these days. Hey, I'm Bob. Bob Stevenson. Yeah, wrote a couple books. I read some stuff. <laughs> Uh, it was originally conceived for the stage by composer Frank Wildhorn and screenwriter Steve Cuden. Cuden with a book by Leslie Brickus. Uh, and lyrics contributed by all three. The pro shot recording we were watching will, was recorded in 2000 and stars the man, the Hoff, David Hasselhoff <laughs> as the titular tragic villain, Dr. Henry Jekyll and his insidious alter ego, Mr. Edward Hyde. Love it. Yeah. Uh, oh, quick man. Quick question. Yes. Did David Hasselhoff have any kind of Broadway experience? Or I know that he was a singer and they love him in Germany, but did he ever do stage shows like this? I think this, this might one? have been his stage debut. And you know okay. what's funny? Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll go back and confirm that because I'm pretty sure this was his Broadway debut. And it was also um, before Hasselhoff played it, uh, uh, the, the, the hair or the hair butt rock star, Sebastian Bach, also oh played, <laughs> also played this role. This was like oh as the show God. as the show was dying out, and as some Broadway shows tend to do, stunt they bring in names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's there's a lot of stunt casting with this show. <laughs> that would have been fascinating to yeah. see yeah. Sebastian Bach go out there like. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'll do to be a fly in that theater. 
Oh, my God. Uh, Loosely inspired by the famous seminal horror story, Jekyll and Hyde follows the good doctor on his quest to cure the evil that he believes inflicts evil and vice onto human beings. After his research proposals are rejected and downright mocked by his colleagues and board members of the hospital where he practices, Jekyll takes it upon himself to find the answer to human evil only to accidentally awaken a crude, violent second personality that lives within his very soul, Edward the Hyde. (laughs) <laughs> and all of Victorian London will feel his wrath come hell or high water <laughs> or a couple of hot women. Who knows? <laughs> uh, this very much follows the trajectory of you not getting cast in uh, the musical, it seems right? like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you you became Hyde. <laughs> I did. I became a sick little twisted monster. Uh, and the everyone world will know me. And they all will feel the pain of Loretta. <laughs> It literally is your Joker origin story when you started making jokes about it. Oh, this truly is a very much a, a um, we live in a society type musical. So. All right. Yeah. All right. Uh, originally conceived in the 1980s, Wild Horde and Cuden struggled to get Jekyll or Cudden. I'm sorry. I don't know. Uh, uh, struggled to get Jekyll and Cudden. Okay. Yeah. Uh, struggled to get Jekyll and Hyde staged for several years, instead producing a demo recording in 1986 and a full concept album in 1990. Later that year, Leslie Brookus was brought onto the project to help do a major overhaul of the show, which finally made its world debut at the Alley Theater in Houston, Texas, to wild financial success. All right, so the Texans were super into it. Yeah, they were. Uh, after touring across the United States for several years, Jekyll and Hyde made its official Broadway debut on April 28th, 97, at the then Plymouth Theater. Uh, it was nominated for four Tony Awards and one <laughs> zero. <laughs> oh, ouch. Uh, it officially closed on January 7th, 2001, after... 1,543 performances. The pro shot recording features the final cast headed by Hasselhoff and Colleen Sexton. Uh, Despite the lack of critical approval from Broadway critics, Jekyll and Hyde has amassed a large cult following over the last couple of decades uh, who affectionately refer to themselves as Jekkies. What the fuck? (laughs) Okay. Jekkies. You can can just like something. You can just say, I like it. You don't have to like give yourself a name, but sure, why not? Yeah, why not? Uh, and has also received multiple national tours and international productions, including a 2012 tour starring American Idol contestant Constantine Morales. I don't know. Was that a famous oh, person from he American was Idol? Like, he never won American Idol, but he was like really popular with the teenage girls because he kind of had like long, dark hair and dark eyes okay. and like was kind of like more like I'm a gritty rocker boy type guy. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and an R&B singer, Deborah Cox. Deborah Cox. Deborah. Yeah. I just Deborah. I that one. Deborah. That, that's Cox. a joke in. Uh, <laughs> that's a that's a joke in uh, pop star, which we discussed. Yeah. Oh yeah. So about Deborah, Deborah. Yeah, Deborah, Deborah Cox, who sang. Um, Deborah uh, Cox. Yeah. This. Uh, she had that song. Nobody's supposed to be here in the '90s. Like it was a popular mm. R&B hit. So like, yeah. Like it, it seems to be the refuge of a bunch of people who, as singing uh, or recording artists, like never quite hit you know, the a top of the tops. Of, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like it, it seems to kind of attract performers like that. And I'm not knocking it. You know, a show is a show is yeah. a show, but it is interesting. Uh, it has also become a popular staple of regional and amateur theater repertoire as, mm-hmm. uh, as you shared with us. Uh, so you did, did you ever end up, I guess if you were like, you know, dealing with the show and stuff, you really never had any desire to go see it like on Broadway at any point, huh? Um, I mean, well, the thing is, is like it did, it was revived on Broadway. I, I mean, I had been working on this production in 2006. It was way after like it had closed mm-hmm. on Broadway. Um, and I had to watch the version we are going to watch 
um, as a member of the tech crew for this show because uh, okay. a lot of a lot of what the director did was basically copy this production. The same thing. Um, okay. And when it was revived on Broadway, it was for like what was supposed to be a limited uh, run, you know, like maybe a couple months, but it closed after mm-hmm. like twenty three performances instead. Oh, so no. like, was it just that bad? No yeah, one. Yeah, I think it was just like that. Pan like people. Critics hate Frank Wildhorn. Like outside, where are all those Jackies, man? Those Jackies. You should have come out full throated and supported it. Yeah. Well, what you have to understand about Frank Wildhorn is that, like, he is like kind of known for never having a show that Broadway critics like. Like uh, Jekyll and Hyde ran for four years almost, and that is a pretty good run for a show, but um, mm-hmm. it still didn't recoup. Uh, he had two other shows running at the same time while Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, was on Broadway uh, mm-hmm. called Civil War, which he wrote with like Trisha Yearwood and a bunch of country artists and like was about the Civil War and that got It was panned. not about the Captain America movie. No, it was, <laughs> it was not. They did not introduce Spider-Man to Broadway. That would, Man, you know, happen on YouTube. That would have been great. <laughs> it probably would have made a lot of money there. Yeah, no, it's literally about the Civil War. And then he did uh, a Broadway version of uh, the Scarlet Pimpernel. And all three of those were running at the same time. They were constantly mm. all being reworked nonstop. Like that's the other notorious thing about uh, his shows is that they are constantly being like retooled and refined and re-edited. So like to keep track of them, to be a historian of Frank Wildhorn is kind of like, you have to devote your life to that. And I have a couple of friends like who George Lucas is yeah. just always going back and making a special edition over yeah. and over again of whatever it is. Yeah. And like, it just, I think the last thing that he wrote for Broadway was, um, a production of, uh, or, or, or a version of, uh, Bonnie and Clyde. And prior to that, he had oh, done cool. one of, yeah, like, and I know a couple of people who like it and it was probably out of all of the musicals I can think of in terms of like critical reception, like the one that at least got like a lukewarm, reception to it um prior to that he had done a version of dracula that was a notorious bomb like closed and open in a heartbeat had all of these like technical and casting issues and it was just like one of those things that you just kind of watched uh like a little piece of shit grinning you know because you're just like this man came you're like this is great i think the last thing he wrote that i could actually tell you anything about was a japanese musical and it's based on the manga and anime death note so (laughs) yeah lighthearted yeah. Um, meanwhile, like the guy who wrote the lyrics for this, Leslie Brickus, who actually died a couple months ago. Um, oh, you're no. you're an older millennial. You know Leslie Brickus's work. He's written the lyrics and music, uh, or, or rather, with his music partner um, Anthony Newley, he wrote uh, uh, the lyrics to Goldfinger. Uh, the lyrics to oh, okay. um, uh, he did the music to uh, Doctor Doolittle. So if I could walk with the animals, talk with the oh, animals. Back in the day, yeah. yeah, yeah. You Never Live Twice, he wrote the, the lyrics for that. He wrote the lyrics to all of Charlie and, or Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Like, this wow. man is very prolific. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, and uh, he. Okay, so it seems like it's going to be a mixed bag, much yeah. like Jekyll and Hyde himself. You'll have yeah. some good shit and you'll have some bad shit. Maybe that's all deliberately part of the structure. Maybe. And I, I went ahead and reread The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde before, like, getting into the weeds for this episode. And you you really, like, did your I, research for well, this. Well, because the thing is, is I this is the first musical that we're doing that I am not a fan of in some way, shape or form, like even, even, or that I don't think really has. And I say this knowing that I like things that people feel the same way about, but like that I don't Mm. think has a lot of artistic merit. Um, and you know, (laughs) I don't want it to just be making fun of a thing because that's, that's just too easy to do. And so in trying Mm -hmm. to like think about how I wanted to approach this show, which again, 
it's not the worst thing in the world to like this show. Like, it's totally fine. Whatever. I don't care. But like, yeah, there don't are. Don't offend our Jackie audience. No, please. the Jackies, please don't murder me. <laughs> I love the song Someone Like You. Not the Adele one, the one in this one. Although I like that Adele song too. Probably better than the one in this show, actually. Sorry. Um, but like. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking of the Scorpion song, but yeah, that's because I'm think, older. I think um, if, if you have any familiarity, even if you've never read Jekyll and Hyde, um, mm-hmm. just knowing it through cultural osmosis, seeing the yeah. choices that this show makes to. I guess padded out into a, so you, you know, you, this is in the context of like, we're at the peak of Andrew Lloyd Webber and Les Mis, mm-hmm. you know, like this show very much wants to be those shows in my opinion. That, and I yeah. think it'll make for an interesting discussion, not just about adaptation, but about, um, especially what you have seen so far. Um, mm-hmm. the context of that, how like it fits w- into all of that, how the, it fits into this. Yes. Okay. And w- all right. why it fails and where it has a couple of, you know, mild successes too. So yeah, I want, okay. I'm trying to keep that in mind and guide the conversation that way. Cause I don't want it to be just talking about how bad okay. it is. <laughs> so I will not take notes making fun of it. I'll have to actually, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, let, let's be real. It's going to happen. Angie, I'll be insightful. It, it's it. going to happen. Right. But I, I just, I think keeping in mind the context of when this show yeah. came out will be very helpful. What it's trying in discussing to do. it later. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good to know. We should probably go uh, and watch it. Oh boy. And uh, come back. Yeah. So let's hear this scrumptious ad break. I hope you don't get <laughs> hassled by the Hoff. The Hoff. Mm. Yeah, that's going to get me through it. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by CuriosityStream, a subscription streaming service with thousands of documentaries and nonfiction titles, such as Can a Computer Write a Hit Musical? In a world becoming ever more technologically advanced and relying upon computers, a team of scientists and musical theater writers team up to devise a recipe for success in musical theater and then task computers to use that knowledge and generate a hit. Suffice it to say, if you like this podcast, this one sounds pretty relevant. You can also get access to our streaming video service Nebula when you sign up for CuriosityStream using our code at curiositystream.com musicalsplain. The Streamy Award-nominated Nebula is a video streaming platform built by and for creators. So you got Nebula, why CuriosityStream? Nebula is a place for smaller, indie, education-type creators to try out new ideas that might not work out on YouTube. With Nebula, you can see original video essays, films, tone poems, all kinds of stuff from creators like Cat Black, Sarah Zed, and of course, our very own friend, Lindsay Ellis. Right now, you can get CuriosityStream and Nebula for only $2.99 a month or $15 for the full year by visiting curiositystream.com slash musicalsplaining. Once you use the code, you'll get a welcome email from Nebula giving you access to all the glory that is CuriosityStream and Nebula. And we are back. Ready? Yes. Are you ready to dive behind the facade? Uh, sure. If you want to call it that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's they, funny that you use the word facade. Cause I feel like that's basically all that this was. It was just a facade. There's no building behind it. No, there's like literally, <laughs> I, I love one, how they, okay. So I'm just going to get right into it right here. This show. No, won- we got to do our, we got a summary oh, first. Okay, Remember, right, don't forget. Right. You always so, get so excited. Uh, I love it. It's just like Loretta right. is coming out. Loretta has opinions. <laughs> Okay, sorry, right, sorry, sorry. Th- but <gasps> thankfully, it's very quick. And yes. There's not much there, so True. it's like I don't know. <laughs> there's, there's <laughs> Which not I was going to say, on. like I can start it off, but I'm going to need you to like help me with the second half because I'm like I don't even know what the second act is. <laughs> if there is one, go for it, man. 
But he's like, you know, there's a dude, Dr. Jekyll. He's like, yo, bro, I'm like a really cool scientist. My dad has some sort of thing. He's dying. His dad dies, right? He's about to die. She's like in a comatose state of some sort where it's implied that like it's terminal or something. It somehow has something to do with being bad because he's like, bro, I came up with this fucking sick ass elixir snake oil like medicine vaccine shit that will stop you from being like bad. Yeah. Whatever that means. You ever look at your dying parent and go, this must be because they've <laughs> sinned. <laughs> so that happens. That's the beginning, the literal beginning of the show. And he's like, this is awesome. And I like pr- and he presents his case to the medical board to, you know, the fucking CDC of 1800s <laughs> London, wherever the fuck they are. Yeah. Uh, And they're like, no, dude, that's fucking you're an idiot. This is a terrible idea. You shouldn't do it. And then the head of the board ends up being the guy that uh, the his future father in law. Yes. Because he's engaged to a lady. uh, Emma Carew. Emma Carew. Emma, sorry. Yeah. So her dad is Sir Danvers Carew. And then also there's there's John Utterson, who's kind of like the narrator of the show, who is a lawyer and Henry Jekyll's friend, who is also somehow also able to sit on the board of this. Yes. And like. They're all like, whoa, Jekyll, you got to slow your roll here. Of course slow they're going to, like, you're, you want to play God. Of course they're going to say no, you know? Yeah. And he's like, you can't contain my genius. Uh, my <laughs> shit's awesome. I need, oh, uh, so the thing that he's looking for when he's asking for the board is approval for, like, a human experiment. Right, yes. So he can, you know, so he can test it on. And then you find out that, you know, he's engaged to this, la- this lady and who's very, like, hashtag girl boss. Yes. Like, <laughs> which... I always am like so like I find it so jarring always when it's like set in a specific period where like characters have like super I've talked about this before where sure. like they have very contemporary attitudes yes in an era where like that wouldn't have been the case but yeah okay fine whatever like one of the Artistic creepy license. dudes on the board is also like trying to hit on this girl Emma and she's like I'm not one of those backwards girls that you yeah. can get the way and you're like woohoo girl Woo, yeah so it's like you know. <laughs> Henry Jekyll's a good guy because he's going to ride or die for our little gaslight gatekeep girl boss friend here. Right. And yeah. then they have like a party, I guess. Yeah. An engagement of. party. Engagement party. You learn. And he's late to that. Yeah. Right. And he's just like, oh, I'm so busy, like coming up with, <laughs> I don't, snake oils. Sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then, I don't know, shit happens. Yeah. And then I think they're going on a bachelor party. Is that what yeah. it's supposed to be? Where they go to like the the dark, the other side yeah. of the tracks. I like how like, I don't know. So this is, you know, a lot of how modern, I guess, Western wedding traditions come out of like basically the early 20th century. Um, and uh-huh. while well, I don't think, you know, the stag party is like a new thing by any means. It feels very modern yeah. where they're like, come on, Jekyll, we're going to get your yeah. dick up. We're going downtown, yeah. you know. <laughs> you go bang a prostitute. Yeah, like all of his friends desperately want him to have sex against the knowledge of his fiance. So yeah, that's it's cool. Just weird. But it does set goes, it, it does set you up for this thesis of like all of these people I should mention on the board are double cast yeah. as like other slimy people, you know. Like, oh, I don't think I caught that. Yeah, I, was, I didn't see the subtlety there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, like it's meant to imply that all the people on the board that have rejected Jekyll's, yeah, yeah, that they're all hypocrites who don't really care about good and evil and are just using like their power on the medicine board to like society, yeah, society Society. really makes you dink, you know. (laughs) So I just had to mention that because I feel like that is like very. It's reframed my thinking about this entire thing. I don't think it's very important, but the show thinks it's very important. Okay, like I just like that has to be mentioned that all these people who are trying to get in Jekyll's way are also hypocrites or double casted as awful people. Uh, awful by you know society. Sure, right, but exactly. As we go to meet uh, what's her name. Her name is 
Lucy in the sky. Lucy, yes, yeah. right. So Lucy, who's basically, which I kept thinking of, was Madam Jerry and Meg. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, she's this prostitute with a heart of gold, yeah. I guess, kind of. And then yep. she's like, oh, people are mean to me and it sucks. But then, uh, you know, Jekyll sees her and he's like, bro, like, are you OK? Like, yeah. Other people are mean to you. Take my business card for some reason, which I didn't realize people had business cards back then because – are they making phone calls? I don't. I don't know they, what they're they, doing. Business cards did exist, but it's clearly not. Like for me, I'm just like, e look, she's a hot chick. I see what you're doing here, dude. You know, he's like, add me on link. Add me on LinkedIn. Is basically <laughs> what he's trying to say to her. <laughs> right. And then he's inspired by her performance. I'm sorry. Let's back up. I fucked this up. So she does like a dance number, mm-hmm. a burlesque show, and he's inspired for some reason by the burlesque show that he should test the snake oil on himself. I do not understand how that happens, but whatever. That's what happens <laughs> in the story. Yeah. Uh, and then he's like, thank you. You've inspired me to do this, blah, blah, blah. That's when he gives him the LinkedIn. Yeah. The song is literally that the burlesque singer sings is literally about good and evil. And it's just like, right. imagine going to the strip club and like someone starts <laughs> dancing to a like a song about like doing concatenates on an Excel spreadsheet. And you're just like, oh, yeah, I should go home and get some work done. That's why I go to the strip club. That's the entire reason to go. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, business uh, expense. And, <laughs> uh, and then, then he goes and injects himself. Is that what he does? Yeah. Is that the next scene? Yeah. And then yeah, he injects himself and then he just, he turns into like a hide. Yeah. There's like a Smeagol thing that doesn't really become anything yeah. for a while. Uh, I don't, you're gonna have to help me out here. I'm trying to remember what so, happens after this and the sequence of it. So he, he like injects himself, becomes Hyde, which is basically him just flipping his hair over his right. face. <laughs> and, and, and he doing, has Michael Jackson circa like yes. 1995 history hair. You yes, that yes, record? yes, 100% he does. It's exactly what it is. <laughs> and like, the, like he, to denote that he's Hyde, he just like flings it over his forehead like an emo right. kid and like, the emo kid, yeah. And does like this hand stuff. Like, and so then he goes out and he kills. One of the members of the medical board who I, I think it's yes. it's it's not a general gloss. I, some of them I just only know their names because I had seen it so many times. But like one's like a general, mm-hmm. one's a bishop. Colonel Mustard. Colonel, one's Colonel Mustard, <laughs> one's Professor Plum. Miss um, <laughs> Scarlet gets it real bad. But like, uh, yeah, so he basically starts picking off people on the medical board who, again, the show goes out of its way to be like, but they're also bad people. So like they're bad, they're bad people. So they kind of have it coming. So then what happens is uh Edward Hyde runs into Lucy and basically like fucks with her in a way. Like, right. He yeah. like scratches her back or something. So, so, I don't know. Yeah. They don't really show it. Yeah. He, he like just kind of like gently mauls her in a way. Yeah. And, um, and she's kind of into it. It seems like the subtext is what they're saying. I can't tell. Yeah. Yeah. I, no, I am right there with you. I'm like, this is very awkward. Uh, but so Lucy ends up going to, Dr. Jekyll's house to Dr. Jekyll mm-hmm. somehow not realizing that they're the same person. Nope. And she's like, dude, you said I could, you gave me your LinkedIn. I'm here to see you because <laughs> yeah. I don't have insurance, right. but maybe you can help me out. Yeah. The NHS hasn't been established yet. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then he stitches up her back. I don't know. gives her a back massage. Whatever yeah. the fuck it is. And he calls her a lady. Uh, like she's like, yeah, you make me feel like a lady. And he's like, he's you like, are you a are. lady. And <laughs> she just is so moved by it. Like, and so, uh, yeah, she then, falls for him. And yeah, because naturally, he's a handsome doctor who's very tall. Yes, yes. As you would. Yes, and uh, then he, like, turns back into Hyde and kills another person, I think. And Yeah, I don't know. It just, yeah. it's, it, the plotting seems so random. Like, it doesn't, it's not like one thing happens which leads to another. Yeah. It just, that's why I'm, like, having so much trouble remembering what happens and 
what sequence of events. Yeah. It's just sort of like, and then this person dies for no reason. Yeah. Yeah. Let he, me just take a break in the middle of my murder spree to like stitch <laughs> this woman up and then go back to what I was doing before. Yeah. And like, so basically like, she's like, oh, I'm in love with him. I wish if someone like loved me, like the way he makes me feel, I could be yeah. such a better person. And then I think right. Hyde kills another person. That's the end of the first act. Does she, does the fiance sing, is that that song where she says that? Or she, they sing like a weird duet. Where oh, both that's like no, that's wanted, in the second act. They, that's they, in what, the second act. There's okay. a part we skipped in summarizing the first act where like all of his friends yeah. are worried about him being too deep into his work, like right before he transforms. <laughs> and it's to, it's everyone singing over everyone. And like, I, yeah. I, I remember hating that song as a 19 year old and watching it again going like, oh, Kave is going to be so it's just f- as bad. fucking miserable. Cause like. I, this one was a hard one for me to get through. I'm I, not going to lie. Like, no, I say I, that I don't, every episode. I don't but blame like, you. <laughs> this this one, one really like, particularly by the time I got to the halfway point, I was like, I just like checked out mentally. Like I just could not, I tried in earnest to like write down notes to like remember. And I was like, Oh, this is bad. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. Uh, but we yeah. got through the first act. So <laughs> we got through the first act and then the second act, I don't know. He keeps murdering. Yep. He has a weird Gollum song, which <laughs> it was probably the only number I thought was good. It's uh was it the confrontation? Confrontation. Yeah. 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 Oh, okay. So, <laughs> I mean, we just skipped like most of the second act right there. It's like. Nothing really happens. He just keeps killing people. Yeah. And then there's like a finale of the wedding and then he gets killed there. I yeah. mean, whatever. Fuck it. Yeah. No, fuck it there. <laughs> I mean, yeah, truly like nothing happens. There's like a song where like his two, the two chicks sing like, oh, but I love him so much because right, right, he's right. such beauty. He's such a kind, you know, all of the good things in, about him are in his eyes. And right. you're like, okay. And then he literally cool. kills his a sex worker in the next yeah. scene. <laughs> like. Yeah, it, oh, he, it doesn't even matter. Yeah, he he kills he kills uh, Lucy the the sex worker. Like they have like this like or, weird. Uh, J- uh, Hyde does. Not, yeah, Hyde not does. Jekyll. Yeah, Hyde at a certain right. point because Lucy's like uh, Jekyll tells her, "Oh, you need to get out of like London," and she's like, "I don't know." Oh, right, right, yeah, because right, he sends a note. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, and like Hyde, she, or sorry, Jekyll sends the note, and then Hyde shows up to murder her by like stabbing her in the back. Yeah, after they have like this weird like sexy song, like yeah, it, to me it's like such a shameless ripoff of point of no return from phantom of the opera that I was like, why do they mm. even bought like they, they sell like, well, phantom did it. So let's do it here. We have a song towards the end of the second it. act. And it's just like, it makes even less sense than it does in phantom. And, <laughs> uh, then he kills her. And then yeah. the confrontation happens, which is the song that the, it is a fun song. Like it is a really, that song's fun. Yeah. Which, you know, well, I'll talk about this. That's sort of like the, that's the crux of my argument of like why this didn't work. Sure. Like this is the only part in the entire musical to me that like kind of tries to do like anything yeah. because the rest of it, it does nothing. And poor Hasselhoff. I mean, the guy is just singing his fucking heart out. Like, I felt so bad for him the whole show. I was like, bro, this is not for you. He's trying. This, this role is not for you. So hard. It's like one of those. He's like a puppy. Yeah. He's a puppy. He just wants you to love him. And I'm like, yeah. I want to just reach through the screen and give him a hug and be like, I'm sorry. What happened in your life? But yeah. Like, this is where you're trying to get the approval. This is not it. Yeah. It's like, bro, <laughs> you're not a musical theater actor. And this is also a bad show, man. But like, I, yeah. it, it's like, um, I, you know, yeah. I used to love like watching it just to make fun of him, but I do. And you, we had talked about this in the first part, if, if this was his Broadway debut or not. And I was, I wanted to say yes, but I wasn't 100% sure because this is something this podcast hasn't touched, but like German musical theater has, is its right, own right, scene right. entirely. And it's honestly a huge right. blind spot to me. Right. So and, I was like, and for, Hasselhoff of course being like the biggest thing in Germany yeah, like, ever, like yeah. obsessed with him. For all I knew, I was like, he's probably been in a production of like Greece in like, Stewart or something for all I know, but this actually was his Broadway debut. So, um, yeah. and his musical theater debut, as far as I 
confined. So yes, like he's just committed. He's committed. Like, you know, he's committed. Yeah, yeah, he really is. He's trying. He's just, there's just not a lot of there, there. Yeah. Uh, so it's like this moment, it's this number where he's sort of going back and forth, like turning his head left and right. And yeah. then like the light cue changes again. It's the only time in the entire musical that like it tries to have any kind of style. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I guess the whole point of it is to say like, oh, this is complicated. I've become this person, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm confronting myself. Yeah. And then like that song ends and then it just goes to his wedding. And then like to his he, wedding, right. <laughs> and, which lasts five minutes and then he stabs himself or no, what I happens? Think the dude, his, dude, friend, his friend, his friend stabs, stabs him. Stabs yes. Him. Yeah. Yeah. John Utterson stabs him. And then it just ends. Like it just it just ends. Like it just sort of drops. The out. show's yeah. just like, OK, well, I guess that's the end of this show now. Which puts us all out of our misery by the end of it, which is fine. So I was glad that it ended. Yeah. The thing that really bothered me, it wasn't even really that, you know, the songs were bad or that like the, the plotting's bad. Because I don't care. I'll forgive a lot of that kind of stuff. Sure. I think generally speaking, the thing that really just sort of drove me crazy about this is mm. that it was like, it wasn't anything. Yes. Like it, it didn't take, like it doesn't have a point of view. It doesn't like have interesting songs. It just sort of was like, I was telling Sarah last night cause she worked late. So she, was, she didn't get to watch it with me. She was mm-hmm. like, what'd you think? And I was like, it kind of just is like boiled chicken. <laughs> I was like, it's just like, it's a protein. It exists. But yeah. it's just like, there's no salt to it. There's no, there's just nothing there. It's yeah. just sort of like, well, that's technically protein. You could, right. you could eat it, but like, it just doesn't do anything, which I thought was such a more infuriating thing than something that might've been terrible, but at least sort of like tried to do something. And it just, that was my big, you know, sort of overarching thing with it is it just, it didn't take a stance of any kind whatsoever. My biggest beef is in thinking about like the shows that this show clearly wants to be, even if they're not high art shows, like say something like Phantom or, or Les Mis, which a lot of people will, will say are just, you know, these big broad pastiche mm-hmm. cliches or just melodrama. I'm like, there is an emotional through line in those shows, you know, right. like they are based in something and they also like don't constantly say what they think they're about to you. Like <laughs> the thing about Jekyll and Hyde is and 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 in rereading the story of Jekyll and Hyde, it's a very short, short story, but like there's mm-hmm. a lot of shit that you can pull from. It might not it might kind yeah. of kind of sound like penny dreadfulish or not like the most subtle, but like there's a lot to dissect from it. This it starts out being like the audience, like you are in the audience and all of these actors are screaming in your face about <laughs> What a fucking like hypocrite we all are, and you're like we're all hypocrites. Yeah, and you're like, well, okay, like you're like sure, I'm defensive a I, little bit. I want to, I guess, I, I want to see where this goes, and it never changes. Like that is the only thing it has to say. It doesn't expand upon it, and like the th- the fact that they constantly are referen- referencing the song over and over again, it's like, oh fuck, they think this is really deep. Like they think this is important <laughs> that that every other like twenty minutes they're reminding you, everyone has a facade, everyone. and you're right. like. Well, cool. And so um, I didn't talk about this yesterday, but the show that this really, really wants to be is Sweeney Todd. Yeah, that's what I could tell, especially in the second act. It's just trying to like it's the way it's staged the way or I should say that it's barely staged. (laughs) That it was barely staged. Yeah. Yeah, And I thought about this, too, because I because I remember you sort of hinted at this. You're like that. It reminds it's sort of trying to be something else. And I thought, you know, what was his name? George Hearn. Was that the guy's name? Yes, George Hearn. Sweeney Todd. Like he was so. And, the, and I was trying to think, cause you know, after a point when something's bad, you just sort of, I start to just think like, well, how would you fix it? Like, sure. what would you do? Like, how could you change it? So, so you're not just like stuck on being negative. It's like, yeah. but George Hearn, I thought like, 
and again, I feel bad. Like, I don't want to shit on Hasselhoff because mm. like it's it's sort of like it's like punching a dog or something. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, and he's just so to me, it's like the problem is, is like you don't cast that guy in this role. Sure. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, it, Hasselhoff could have just tried and he did seem like he tried, but it's just like he's not the right person for it. If anything, he should have been the guy that plays the friend. Oh, sure. That's like so earnest and like trying so hard and was like, I believe in you no matter. Like I would have much rather like I would have believed him in that role much more than the guy. But sure. Thinking of Sweeney Todd, I was like, Hearn has a presence. He yeah. has like a sort of, he has a voice. Yes. He has like a, and it just sort of made me think maybe for people listening to this who, who haven't really done much directing or like thinking about how you write stories or you mm-hmm. cast actors is like, you want someone who's going to inhabit the role yeah. and like bring something to it. Yeah. Right. Like they're going to do the work to sort of like, cause this is what a really good actor will do. Especially that's why you get a lot of people who are like good character actors working in like terrible Hollywood movies right. because they can take something that's dog shit that has nothing to it and just sort of figure out ways to like inhabit the role and like fill it in and do stuff. Like that's what you pay a character actor to do. Or like a good actor. <laughs> this was just like you had Hasselhoff. He just sort of took the text and was like, OK, I'm just going to read this and just and and be earnest. Like yeah. the guy that that's what he thinks it is. And it's like, no, you need somebody who's going to like fill it with something like right. to do the homework, try to like develop something out of it. Like a bad script for a good actor is like they'll still figure out a way around it. Even sure. If- the person who played this role when it opened on Broadway, like Rob Cuccioli, mm-hmm. was just supposed to be like they, they marketed the show on like his ability to like go between these two characters, you know, and to have it, you yeah. go like, oh my god, wow, there really is I something can't looking how different. They are, yeah, like to 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 I think a detracting where it just it immediately showed its hand. It, like that's the gimmick we have, you know, and that's really all we're building towards here, you know. <laughs> um, but like, the, I agree. I don't think Hasselhoff is that actor, and it's especially like hard when you see all these other Broadway actors like trying around him. I just like you're just seeing people just like trying to like muster through. It's not like it's what I guess I'm getting at is it's not just Hasselhoff here. It's just like the material is so poor. Like the guy who plays Emma Carew's dad, Sir Danvers, like the older, like British sounding mm. dude, is a Barry yeah. Ingham, who's 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 a very like well established English film and stage actor, and he's yeah. also like where I think most of our audience would know him from is he is actually the voice of Basil of Baker Street in The Great Mouse Detective, and oh, shit, okay. like. He, I'm like, this man is in this show and even he looks fucking stupid. You know, it's just like, <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, but like you said, like, I think a lot of it is the direction though. Yeah. You know, it's, it's it, it, so uh, what I was sort of talking about earlier with confrontation, right. Which it sort of, it tries for a second. It's, it's a show. This is a show about duality and it makes no effort to draw a contrast yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in, in any of the sequences, which I thought was like amazing. Like, I'm like, how do you so miss the point of it? Like, yeah. Again, confrontation. That song is the only time where they like they kind of try with at least like a lighting cue, yeah, to be like you know. It's like this is what I mean. Like you can get around stuff being shitty. Like yeah. if a script is bad, you know, I'm not saying like a script that, that's bad is forgivable, but like okay, you have a bad script, you can still kind of look at this and be like, okay, this is about a guy who changes into another dude. Yeah, <laughs> I'm the guy behind <laughs> the dude behind another dude. Oh my god! Right, right. And if you're a director, you could be like, okay, well, this sucks, right. but. At least when he turns into the other dude, we could do some crazy different shit. So, so like you, you, there are aspects of your job that you can control. Yeah, and it's like none of those things were done. That's that's yeah. the thing that was surprising to me is that like you it, it, again, the script is bad. I understand, but you can sort of do something, and they took none of those chances. Yeah. 
for some reason, whenever there's a, a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde adaptation, like Mr. Mm-hmm. Hyde is always like some big monstrous nightmare. Like, yeah. Um, the thing is, is when you read the novella, Hyde is portrayed as like this small, like everyone just gets this disgusting vibe from him. They can't pinpoint why they're disgusted by him, but he's just like mm-hmm. this small, like almost like near child height kind of looking thing. And it's a very like Victorian, like because a person who is, you know, underdeveloped in morality and and in a sense of good is a small person. person Yeah, is a small poor person. Like but like that is there, you know? Like that that physicality is there. Cause like it's we can't, you know, make somebody hulk up on stage. That'd be really, really hard to do, you know? Um but the text itself is just like it is you're a small, like disgusting like there's so much character in in that description of it that like i, I am just kind of like shocked that all they were doing was like hair you know like no more yeah, and again just, i didn't oh, see his hair's down like his hair's down i didn't see bob cuccio but they, the thing is they want him to be sexy like so what i'm getting at is like they want jekyll and slash hyde to be sexy and redeemable because they spend so much time setting up the fact that Jekyll is, uh, you know, like a good what the what the text thinks is a good person, and that he right. is being basically stymied by people who are hypocrites who have no intellectual curiosity. That like he's not the problem, you know. That even if his his goals are misguided, like they want him to be a romantic, yeah. tragic villain in the way that like the show marketing wise wants to be yeah. Phantom of the Opera. Like they wanted to have that yeah. like sexy love triangle monster who was also kind of fuckable thing. But like number one. <laughs> There's nothing in Jekyll and Hyde the musical besides the very basic premise of a man who transforms into two different people and a couple of character names. That is actually in the story. The story is literally just Utterson, the lawyer friend, and a couple of um, Jekyll's other friends like kind of being like, yo, does Jekyll seem okay to you? Like, (laughs) what's going on with this guy? And then, like, meanwhile, there's this guy named Hyde who runs over, like, just basically walks into a little girl and runs over her and kills a a well-liked politician. And there's no, like, the politician was a bad guy. It's just like, oh, my gosh, he killed a guy that everyone respected in the community. Mm -hmm. And that's it. Like, there's no, like, righteousness to Jekyll Mm -hmm. or Hyde's thing. Most of the people are are genuinely kind of disgusted or horrified by what he's trying to do, you know? It's built as like a very strange and sad and kind of tragic case of man's hubris, but not a romantic one, not one of a vengeance, not one of like moral justice necessarily, or at least at a textual level. And Jekyll and Hyde, the musical, wants to be that, you know, it wants to be the show that is like Sweeney Todd and that it really makes you think it really speaks to about society. It wants to be Phantom of the Opera and that it's like, oh, look at this tragic villain man thing with sexy elevator music um and it wants to be Les Mis and that it's like look it's a show about justice um and it is none of those things like it wants and it's exactly it's, yeah, it's none of those it's things it's so desperately like I think I was I, I went back and listened to Sweeney Todd again and even just like the the whole like insistence of using like the lower class working class chorus to like mm-hmm. tell you the story it's done it's in such different ways that it, it feels like a joke comparing it but like I sat going through all of the ensemble parts of Sweeney Todd and there's never a moment until the very, very end of the show where they are telling you the moral of what's here. Like they are literally (laughs) just there to like be the wheels of what's pushing the story along. And these are the people that are also his victims, you know, so you can never separate Sweeney Todd from the fact that he's doing horrific things. It's not a thing about Mm -hmm. justice. And so when the Mm -hmm. show ends and everyone is on stage and they say like, um, 
isn't that Sweeney there beside you? You know, that moment where like that, yeah, that, yeah. that impulse to do vengeful things, thinking it's good and that being a bad thing. Like that's the only time it's like stated outright. And you're, you're already smart enough to have figured out like this is going to end badly by the time, like it gets to the, yeah. to the very end of the show. You're like, Oh man, this guy's going to kill his wife. You know, like it doesn't mm-hmm, treat you like mm-hmm. it's stupid. It's there to set atmosphere to build to this fact that like, yeah. we are a society, <laughs> you know, whereas like Jekyll <laughs> and Hyde right up front is like, I'm hunching my shoulders and making an angry face. And that's like literally everyone, all everyone does. Well, um, it's also kind of like what I was talking about earlier about like it's point of view, right? Like <laughs> Sweeney Todd has a point of view. This doesn't actually have any point of view whatsoever. Right, yeah. That's, that's the main, that's the main sort of story problem with it is you're like, I, am I meant, I don't know whose story I'm, I'm meant to be watching or what journey I'm supposed to be going on or right. like what I'm supposed to feel by the end of it. Like you said, it's trying to do all these things, but it doesn't, really do any of them yeah which yeah. which again to me is like more offensive because it's like at least do one of them even yeah. if you do it poorly just do just do something yeah <laughs> like um phantom of the opera is very different the musical is very different from the book the book is like a classic pot boiler mystery kind of tone like mystery horror kind of thing and mm-hmm. the angel Lloyd weber version obviously takes it in a very romantic direction and the plot is is different but like the elements are all still there and you can follow yeah. that through line of like man the world sucks society's a real dinker they you know made someone who was different feel bad and now they created a monster in and of itself blah 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 like you're like okay i understand what that's trying to say you know same with like sweeney todd being one of those old penny dreadful stories they still found uh-huh. that like oh that's inside of us jekyll and hyde you watch and you go Sometimes you play in God's domain and you kill a prostitute. Like that is like <laughs> that the takeaway that I'm supposed Some to have. Some rich asshole. Like yeah. <laughs> like I, yeah. I, I genuinely like even even for shows that I dislike, I can see at least when people like even with something like Dear Evan Hansen, which I think is <sighs> like I am a oh, Dear yeah. Evan Hansen hater. I can at least see like what it was trying what the to do. Was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Whereas like Jekyll and Hyde, I have absolutely like and. To me, that is pretty much every Frank Wildhorn show that I've mm-hmm. sat down and experienced, some that I've liked a little more than others. It doesn't really have anything terribly deep to say. I'm not saying this even in terms of being like, well, I'm smoking clothes and I'm like wearing a sure. backwards beret <laughs> being like, things need to have substance. Yeah, no, and be, no, like, yeah. But it, there's no, at no point, you can have something that doesn't have any point, right? Sure. You can have something that's just for the sake of doing it or for the joy of doing sure, it, but sure. it doesn't have that either. Yeah. The thing. Like, it just kind of doesn't, it's just kind of, it's boiled chicken. It's just, it's sustenance. It technically yeah. exists and it's food and you can eat it, but it doesn't, there's no flavor to it. I don't know why we're eating this. I don't know what I'm supposed to do yeah. this other than the fact that it exists. Yeah. I, I don't really feel like it's campy. Again, I just, I just feel like it's, it's nothing. It's just bland. It feels like, like a sorry, very- <laughs> sorry to harp on this one so much. No. Like I have like a stronger opinion about this one, not being anything specific than like, Cats, which yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, like, yeah, like cats. You could at least say, well, it's also an exploration of dance and like how you how you interpret poetry visually. You know, you could you can make that argument for cats. I don't, I don't like. I could not find why like Frank Hor- Wildhorn was so attracted to this story. You know, to spend all this effort. You know, to put it into a musical. It seems reverse engineered, if anything, like mm. you said, of all these other influences. You know, yeah. again, I always kind of think back to film because that's the point of reference that I have. But it's like, sure. OK, well, here are the top, you know, number one movies that were out of the past, like, you know, year. So what are those movies all have in common? They have this, this, this and this. So yes. let's put these into a fucking AI generator. And then this writes the script for us. And right. And then we sort of do it. And then they're like, you fucking, the idiots will clap for this one. Right. Right. And then, 
it's it's weird. It's, I don't know if cynical is the right word, but it feels kind of cynical in the way that it was made. Yeah, it does feel cynical. But like there's a there's a level of like, again, I, I think it, the best thing I can think of is like a fifth grade book report when you really liked a book. But like you were too <laughs> like you're still just too young to like articulate fully like why you're like there was something interesting about like a man, you know, having two personalities. And that was really cool to me. And like that, that, that is basically what that. I get from the show like right, that's which, all and there's like yeah and there's so many easy like it's just easy you could have done it like yeah. again you could have just shown some visual contrast between Hyde and Jekyll yeah you could have like made this a metaphor about I don't know I kept thinking about like alcoholism sort of sure it's, it's like oh he gets the substance and he turns into this other person like, yeah it's not that hard right to right extrapolate something from this like but. that that's one of the hugest like things that people read into with the original novella is that it's about like you know addiction it's also about you know of course the the very obvious thing the only thing that the show kind of leans into is Victorian prigness mm-hmm. versus like people can also be kind of shifty there's a lot about it being about Scottish independence and against the, like the UK. Scottish independence. Yeah. Yeah. There's, but like, there's so many reads on it. Like you're right. Like there are so many very, not hard to find reads that you could have on Jekyll and Hyde. (laughs) And this just instead like goes and adds, like he's never engaged in the novel in the novel. He's like a 50 year old daddy. Like, He's just yeah. like a bachelor guy. Everyone kind of likes going around fucking killing people. Yeah. Like, hey, cool. Yeah. And like, he feels bad about what he does to the point where like, well, he knows he's going to have to kill himself to like stop Hyde's madness. And that's just kind of mm-hmm. how it ends. And it's all told through either like his friends being like, Oh my God, my bro is a fucking acting weird or like letters. <laughs> there's no like love interest. There's no like weird, like the thing with like the, the, the love triangle. Like that's where it feels really cynical to me is like, yeah, there's so much you could do and all you could do is like do the same old shit that Broadway always does which just have a fucking love triangle you know that that isn't necessary that doesn't add anything to to the story you know like I it doesn't have any like flair like there's like those sets are basically they're barely a set it's rough I forgot how rough looking the show is like that this is like this is on Broadway like this looks like this looks pretty cheap man like yeah and and like very, very basically staged too it seems like a, a rough draft that they just were like, okay, well, this is this is the thing now. You're like, oh, yeah, right, I guess that's what you're going to watch. I guess, like, the reason why I think I, I was so interested in doing this show in spite of hating mm-hmm. it was because, like, I think mm-hmm. it, I, I've gone back and forth. Like, a lot of things that I used to really hate, I've gotten a lot softer on. Um, yeah. This is one of those things that I have not gotten softer on. If anything, it's <laughs> it's only made me angrier because I think a lot of shows. No, I think you were right as a kid to be angry about this. Thank show. you. Like Thank resenting you. It. Yes. Thank you. I Justified. Think, I think a lot of shows that I don't particularly like but get dogged on really hard. Like there, there's that line of like, look, there are there are failures that are still you know worth talking about that aren't lacking in artistic merit that like just because I don't like them doesn't mean like they shouldn't exist and I'm not saying Jekyll and Hyde shouldn't exist but like I think it's given me a better basis of like what 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 hard work and artistic intent even if it doesn't come through looks like versus like this you know um right trying and failing is admirable yeah yeah right like like that's I'm fine with that I I I approve of that I appreciate that I think like if you have if you're trying to do because that's mostly all we're going to do in our lives. We're just going to try right. and fuck up. Right. But you got to try. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I, that's what's fascinating to me about Frank Wildhorn too, is like, he just keeps writing shows and they like keep failing. And I mean, people, there are people who just adore him, but like, but he keeps getting hired, right? He yeah. Keeps, it's not like he's not working. That's what's yeah. interesting about it. Like somebody I, likes it. I was trying to pit this against, I'm like, what's a show that I can sit down and watch and enjoy. And, um, 
you know, still feel like a horrible monster for watching just in comparison to Jekyll and Hyde. And I was like, well, I do have a great time watching Love Never Dies. And I'm like, well, what is at least compelling to me about Love Never Dies versus something like Jekyll and Hyde where it feels like getting my teeth pulled out? Like I cannot get Mm -hmm. through Jekyll and Hyde. I had to like pause, take multiple breaks, rewind it, like that sort of thing. And part of it is like the context of my life. Of course, I'm going to find something like Love Never Dies, like an, an insane fun house mirror of what my like teens and twenties look like, and now seeing sure. the fruits of that labor there. But it's also just like, well, Andrew Lloyd Webber was trying to say something here, man. <laughs> I don't think it's a good thing, but man, he put his whole ass into making that show and it's a miserable failure and it's a garbage show, but like it has some, it's holding on it's to something. It's our garbage show. It's our garbage <laughs> show. Thank you. Um, like, Not cause, mine, cause but I know you, what you're telling me. Don't love bathing beauty on a beach. Bathing beauty. No, it, like it is, I'm like those are two bad shows. Like I was trying to think of a, a show that I could compare to Jekyll in earnest. That like is something that I can at least glean enjoyment from, and and why the two were so different to me. And to me, it's like love never dies. You see someone trying to work through something. Like this is all Angela <laughs> Weber working through his divorce with Sarah Brightman, and you're just like, okay, I want to see where the like I want to see where this crazy train goes. Like you get on board yeah, you're, knowing you're like peering into something that you feel like you shouldn't be seeing. Exactly. It's like an open wound that's exactly. on stage and, and you're like, Ugh. Yeah, and you, you whatever where it's going, you're just like, well, this man has feelings and I'm gonna get feelings from this. But like, yeah, Jekyll and Hyde, there's just like nothing. Like I really do struggle to find and I felt bad saying it in the first half where like I found yeah. nothing of artistic value or interest in it. We'll say this. Jackie's we don't judge you for liking no, it. No, absolutely we, we not. We don't understand. Yeah. I'm <laughs> Everyone trying. can like what they like and you can we're trying really yeah. hard. We really did. Yeah, I just absolutely cannot understand why this is good. But Good for her. Good yeah, for good you. Good for her. Glad you have something you enjoy. We are baffled by this. I just, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I genuinely don't really know what to say. I think the thing that I've seen that I can compare it to is uh, the, I saw Lestat, the musical, uh, which oh, right. was. Lindsay uh, and I talked about that one a lot, which yeah, I never saw. But and it reminds me. Oh, my gosh. It reminds me a lot of that. Like, I'm just like. There's so oh. much there and so but much to pull from. At least you have Elton from. John writing songs for that one, though. Which I, I know. Is... But that also felt like just like, he was just like, sure, oh, why really? not? Yeah, like, oh, I, there's shit. only maybe like two songs I could tell you the melody of, you know, and that it just feels Ooh. like, let's just do it because why not, you know? Okay. Um, and again, like you said, there's nothing wrong with doing something just for the fun of it. But like, when you see a, right, how expensive it is, fun. Yeah. how expensive and hard it is to mount a Broadway show and you see something like that, you're just kind of like... Oh, that hurts, you know, (laughs) you think of all the young composers out there grinding to just get a show off Broadway or off off Broadway. And it's just like, who is giving Frank Wildhorn the money to do this? Who who are you? He's got dirt on somebody. Yeah. Frank Wildhorn knows uh, who has been murdered by whom. And that's why he wrote Facade. (laughs) All right, everybody. I think we got to go ahead and wrap it up. Are there any other last closing thoughts you wanted to share? I think we we probably sufficiently should on this. We, yeah. And again, <laughs> I just want to say all the love to people who really do like this show. But yes. um, and I, I do think it's a good example of why, you know, the nice thing I will say about it is its existence gives a lot of context to other shows, you know, and that mm-hmm. I don't think if you're going to do comparative analyses, sometimes you just have to have something that is so out there and like not attached to anything mm-hmm. to yeah. uh, to to appreciate why other things exist. I think maybe it does have its own place in the great chain of being, but it's not a place that I'm going to for dinner. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, thank you guys for listening. <laughs> Jackie's sorry again. Yeah. 
uh, <laughs> uh, I'm sure you're all going to come for us. Come for us on Twitter yeah. at Musical Splaining with no G, <laughs> at Musical Splaining with a G on Instagram. Please don't murder us. Uh, I am at Cavitarian on Twitter and at Perma Friends on Instagram. Uh, please go check out my cool, fun. Uh, avocado chronicles comics yeah and um i am y angelina y on twitter you are more than welcome to direct all of your jackie anger at me um please do <laughs> if you actually have some interesting stuff to say about it i'd be happy to hear it but yeah again i'm y angelina y on twitter and angelina underscore s-e-e on instagram yeah and uh as always if you guys enjoy the podcast please go ahead and uh, leave us some good marks and good reviews give yeah. us five stars uh tell everybody about it Get our listenership up. Try to get as many people yeah. as we can to listen so we can keep doing this, getting all crazy. and Especially you people whose <laughs> show we yeah. just dunked on really hard. Uh, but th- once again, thank you for listening. Yeah. Next, uh, we-, we won't say it, but our next episode's going to be a fun one, I think, for you. You're, you're very excited about the next one. Yeah. I'm always excited. Like, is- yeah, that's true. You are always excited. It's always a pleasure. It's, it's always a pleasure. always a good but- time, even when it's a bad yeah. time. <laughs> yeah.